Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. It is a lonely house today. It is only me and you, Tim Lee. No Jihei, no Arash, no Brandon. How are you doing? I don't feel too lonely about it. I mean, like, this is the the camaraderie is always there. It's going to be no matter what, whoever's opposite of me or opposite of you, the studio is going to be fine. I agree. That's yeah. a great way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of feeling lonely, though, um, I know we're going to get into college football, but mm. LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> Poor a- guy. He's, yeah, he's on a man on a mission, right? He's just gonna go for the points record right now. Like that's his sole goal. Yeah, I know. Obviously, he's keeping the team afloat, but that's uh, yeah. I don't know. He's looking around him like, "Where's my help?" We'll get back into the Lakers and what he said post game um, in a little bit, but I know you want to touch on the big event of this weekend. What is going on this weekend, Tim? Yeah, finally the culmination of college football. Uh, there's been a million bowl games the last couple of weeks. So if you've been paying attention, obviously those are the teams that you probably had a lot of investment involved with Clemson, Tennessee, USC, UCLA. A lot of those teams are going to play prior to like the college bowl, the college football playoffs, which is going to be TCU against Michigan. And then obviously Ohio state and then Georgia Uh, for the two teams that I find to be the head and shoulders above the class. I think it's going to be Michigan and Georgia TCU. They're, They've had a great season. They had a season where a lot of people didn't have them even slated in the top five because talent-wise, they just wasn't there. But the players over the course of the season, uh, even their quarterback, Max Dugan, a really, really good dual threat, but I feel like he's just kind of like relegated to college only. They have a great running back, Kenji Miller, and then they have obviously the one player that everybody likes, which is Quentin Johnston. That's their wide receiver. He also is a dual threat. He kind of has like a Debo Samuel build. But he has incredible like break speed. Like he's like very, very fast. I think he's like four four. Maybe not even bad. He's like four two, four three. Who do you think is more susceptible to the upset? Is it Michigan against TCU or Georgia against Ohio State? I don't think any of them. I think Ohio State has some roots, but they got destroyed by Michigan by by forty almost. So like I just can't see them beating Georgia. And I just can't see TCU beating Michigan. I, I know they lost Blake Corum, who's their big Heisman candidate. Their big running back weapon. Uh, I know you've been watching him a little bit, uh, and his and his capable backup Edwards. I mean, he's like just as explosive, just as good. Their defense is just as good. Uh, this is the same team that put that drubbing on Ohio State outside of like one or two marquee pieces. And TCU too linear of a game plan. Too many close games this season too. So what happens then if we if we do get that national championship game? Georgia and Michigan. What do you think would happen there? I think that's also going to be a blowout. I think Georgia is like such a, they're an elite class of their own. So 
I'll run it down a little bit. Uh, Georgia has, in my opinion, the favorite to win. Their defense is not even college. It's it's a pro scheme. And they're going to have two, legitimately two or three picks that are going to be chosen within the first 20 picks of the NFL draft in their defense alone. And they have a great offensive line where one of them is going to be maybe in the top 10. We're talking like Jalen Carter, who'll be a top five guy. One of the best pass rushers. He's an edge rusher. Uh, he's 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 had a pass rush the last two two years of above sixteen percent, which in college is very very difficult to achieve. And then they have his teammate right after him, Nolan Smith, probably the best run stopper in college. And then run stopping in college is very very difficult because in college you kind of just call a run. If your team doesn't have any like marquee players, you kind of just run all over them, right? So the run game is very effective in college. I think you've seen that in the histories. A lot of like Heisman candidates have always been quarterbacks, and then right right after them it's running back, right? Because it's, it's highly effective to run in college. What do we expect from the Cotton Bowl? USC and Tulane, anything to look forward to there? USC is only a two-point favorite. Right. I think they're anticipating most of USC starters to sit. Obviously, Addison's probably not going to play. I think that 2.5 is alarming because I don't think Caleb is going to play either. And um, it's a little bit disrespectful to Tulane. I think they've had a great year. But Tulane might start everybody. And if they, if they start everybody, Tajay, Tajay's going to go off, I think. So Tajay Sharp is their running back. He might just like destroy the entire game. And then what about the Rose Bowl? We got Penn State and Utah. Utah, two and a half point favorite. That's on Monday, January 2nd. Yeah, I don't think they have anything to lose. So if they run the whole course of their team, they'll probably do really, really well. Penn State's known for using a like 15 running back system. They have like Noah Singletary, who's like their incredible rookie. He might just play. So any relation to Devin? No, no. Okay, just checking. All right. Is there anything else that you're looking forward to besides the main bulls that you're looking forward to? Maybe NFL prospect wise mm. or anything that you're you're going to be watching for these next few days? You mentioned upset. I think Ohio State. So Ohio State is notoriously known the last few years for being very very good offensively. You see Garrett Wilson right now with the Jets. I mean, he's like proof that they have a really really good scouting system, a really good like recruiting system. Ohio State this year, no different, right? I don't, I don't know if you heard like C.J. Stroud, obviously a Heisman candidate. He was like the second place finisher, but he has like a plethora of weapons that he can throw to. So he has this year, he has Marvin Harrison Jr. He has uh, Emeka, who's really good. Julian Fleming, who just came out of like nowhere, and then uh, who I like to call uh, Jackson Smith uh, Najiba. So like JSN, that's what we call him in DFS circles. He's incredibly talented. He might be a top ten pick as a wide receiver, oft injured. But he outperformed Garrett Wilson as a rookie uh, when he first came up. As not a rookie, I shouldn't say rookie, as a freshman, right? So, like, as a true freshman, he was the best player on the team as a true freshman. So that's how good the guy is. You mentioned C.J. Stroud. What are, what are your thoughts on the top of this NFL draft class quarterback-wise? What, what are we looking at? Uh, it's pretty weak. It's, it's like C.J. Stroud, and then that's about it. Bryce Young is... Bryce Young's good, but man, Alabama system quarterbacks have never been, in my opinion, the the, the most top of the class. I mean, I know he hasn't had as much talent as like a Tua has, but he's really, in my opinion, he's kind of good. He's good, but he's not great. I mean, I feel like he can do like his first and second read. After that, he gets flustered. We've seen him in a lot of situations throughout this season alone where he just kind of struggles when pressure is hit. The reason why I ask is because I'm a Bears fan and we're looking right. at potentially maybe the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is a team going to be worth uh, trading up for for one of those quarterbacks? Would, would a team do mm. that for the, this year's class? So you mentioned the two quarterbacks already. Uh, CJ Stroud and, and Bryce are the clean, like the, they're clearly the best 
players for quarterbacks. This draft is very good for edge rushers, very good for wide receivers, and very good for overall offensive linemen. All things the Bears need. <laughs> exactly. So if the Bears do trade their pick, which I don't think they will, if they do trade, if they if they do pick somebody number one overall or even number two or whatever, it'll be an edge rusher. It'll be somebody that I mentioned from Georgia. Well, I hope the Houston Texans and Lovey Smith can get one more win so we can do exactly that. <laughs> yeah. is, is there anything else you want to touch on before we get into LeBron James's post-game quote from last night? No, I think I think I'll just look forward to when the finals happen. Uh, once again, the semifinals might disappoint. Uh, the only game that might be exciting to watch and exciting is in air quotes here is like the Michigan game because that's the closest in the spread. And that's probably most accurately the closest game. Where will we f- find you watching these games? Are you going to be in the local pubs or are you going to be at home? I'll be at home. I have no horse in this race. There we go. Yeah, I like that. So post game last night, LeBron and the Lakers lose to Miami. Uh, second night of a back to back. They were playing Orlando the night before. I called it a nice win because I was expecting a loss to the Magic. <laughs> right. And then after the game, LeBron says this, quote, I want to win and give myself a chance to still compete for championships. Playing basketball at this level just to be playing basketball is not in my DNA. It's not in my DNA anymore, which sounds like a direct shot at fighting for the play-in tournament, fighting for the playoffs, not really having a team that's relevant. And now they're 14 and 21, and you have to think, Shams Trania came out and said yesterday, AD probably out. No, till he said definitely out till at least mid-January. Yeah. And then, I mean, at that point, the Lakers could be looking at, what, 12 games under 500? Mm-hmm. And then you're counting on Anthony Davis to basically play at the same level he was playing at pre-injury, right. which would lead him, you would think, to be more susceptible to, to injury. re-injury. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just looking at it like this is... What what's next? Because th- I think it's as bleak as it's ever been. Yeah, we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago. You and I were uh, this stretch for the Lakers was so important, right? Like this month for the Lakers was so important. A lot of road games, a lot of teams against the Eastern Elite. So him saying that makes a lot of sense. This is the most mortal we've seen LeBron James, and uh, as a person who's seen him almost in his entire career, maybe actually his entire career, uh, it's kind of like shocking to see. But I think it's like a culmination of everything, right? Like the, the Lakers have done so poorly this year, but also his running mate that he chose, like his handpicked heir apparent, has been oft injured. But when you see him, he's so dominant, right? So it's like tantalizing potential, and it's frustrating at the same time because you, he does he just can't stay on the court. So do you think that was a precursor to LeBron eventually asking for maybe a trade this offseason? Yeah, that might be it. I mean, like it, it just doesn't seem like he. I mean, I understand what he's talking about. He doesn't want to just play basketball to play basketball. That's obviously alluding to the fact that people are obviously saying, like, oh, his potential to do well for the season is going to be his goal to hit that points record, right? This is the fascinating thing. If LeBron was to be put on the market, what, he's going to be 38, 39 Mm -hmm. years old? Rudy Gobert was worth (laughs) what he was worth. That kind of fluctuated the market in a way that we've probably never seen in terms of just, okay, wow, that is what that player is worth, mm-hmm. so then what is X and Y player worth? With LeBron James at that age, how many first-round picks are we looking at? Is it still that treasure chest of assets that it would take to acquire him, do you think? Or do you think it would be less than what we've seen in some of these recent moves? I think I feel like so. I, I don't know if you agree with this. The Minnesota trade, I feel like, was a very big outlier. Uh, I do agree. Right. And and the fact that it's done so poorly 
is not going to encourage future owners from doing the exact same thing because one, the fit was so weird when it first came up anyways in the news. And I was just like, I don't understand this trade at all. Now you're clogging up the, the center position. You already have Carl Anthony Towns, who's an incredible big, who can shoot. That's very rare. So I don't think GMs are looking at their like future plans and being like, oh yeah, I want to do that. Perfect, perfect execution. I, I hear you and I completely agree. I do think though that when you look at a team like a desperate team, right. like a last chance mm. team, maybe a Phoenix, I don't know what the trade would look like, but I could see them saying, you know what? Let's say it doesn't work this year, which I, I think, you, do you agree that it's probably not going to work this year with Phoenix? I mean, Devin Booker now out for a month with the pulled groin, which by the way, he's been off injured the whole year. He, he, why did he have to play on Christmas? I get it. It's a big game, but yeah. it seemed like he rushed back and then four minutes into the game, he was out and now he's out for a month Yeah, and with those soft tissue injuries, we've seen it time and time again. But I mean, a team like that, where it's like, we're close and we don't want to give up on this window that we have, you know what? Another team that's kind of, kind of in the same boat, I guess, in that regard is the bulls because the bulls <laughs> are about to blow it up mm -hmm. and I think a team like, I'm not saying LeBron is headed to Chicago necessarily, but a team that's close, that's like, all right, it's either this lane or we got to go the complete opposite direction. That's the team that I could see make a trade for LeBron. What do you think? LeBron teams are so hard to evaluate because he needs like two things to work in his favor. One, he needs a team that's desperate, not just for like a missing piece, like an alpha to be on the team. He can't be the missing piece. He can't be a secondary or tertiary option, right? In a lot of ways, he is the primary option. Like, regardless of how well he's shooting, he still averages his LeBron stat line, even though he's never hit it once in his career, which I think, you know, it's like 27-7-7. and Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, the list of teams, that's the good thing about it, is that the list of teams that would want his services are very, very slim. You mentioned Phoenix. I don't think that's possible because they have CP3. They both have like very similar timelines. Their mortality is like starting to like stare them in their face, right? The injuries are starting to pile up. The lack of options that they can have physically is starting to like happen. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's starting to become a reality. But I don't know if the Chicago Bulls make sense for them either, unless they keep some of their like actual foundational pieces, like Zach Levine. Do Do we think though, where no matter where LeBron goes, it kind of at least for me, it doesn't make sense. Like, right. just it. I thought it was going to be Lakers till he retires. Day he retires. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know an honorary contract to go back to Cleveland at the end. Yeah. But now there's a real, you know, there's an opening there where if the Lakers are, let's say, twelfth or thirteenth in the West again this season, he's going to look at Rob Palenka, and I really think he's going to say, "Enough is enough. I, I can't waste the twilight of my career." in a situation like that. And no matter where you send him, it's going to be awkward at first to see LeBron in yet another uniform, especially if it's a team that's so out of the blue. Like what if he goes to, let's say I I'm just throwing it out there like a Memphis, <laughs> like right. that LeBron in a, in a, in a Grizzlies uniform or something that's just so out of the blue, mm -hmm. out of the box. It would, it would throw my mind for a loop. That's for sure. Actually, like you know, Phoenix. If you if you take out CP3 out of the equation, he makes a lot of sense. But he would do the exact same thing as CP3, but like to a lesser degree, because LeBron needs shooters, but he also needs wing defenders, and he needs a, a versatile big, right? Like that's always been his career mo. So he needs a guy who can cut, 
or he needs a he needs a guy who can spread the court as a big a four or a five regardless and he needs like a plethora of shooters i know he's never had a great shooter in his career but he's always had a guy who averaged like 40 percent from three be it ray allen or jr smith in that one luminary year as a as a cleveland cavalier or Kyrie even to a degree too because he needs people that can stretch the court because he can't do it himself. So that's the formula. Those are the teams that you're looking for. So what you're saying is Landry Shamit is the answer. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying, right? So I, I think Landry Shamit, and he has, the only issue is that Aiton can't spread the court, right? So that's why like maybe Chicago's out of the question. Memphis is also out of the question too because like why would they, you know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense. All, who would they trade for? I mean, like, they're not going to lose Bain for this. And nobody wants Brooks. Are you sure? There's no way they trade Bane for LeBron. LeBron. I, I'm not disagreeing, but that's why this would be so fascinating is because who know, I don't know what that trade even remotely looks like, a right. LeBron trade at this stage of his career. But, but it would be a great it would be a great piece to have because he has JJJ, right? He has Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. Ja would be the guy who can legitimately just be the heir apparent. Because what if they give up Jaron Jackson Jr.? There's no way because he need like LeBron himself would probably be like, if I'm going to Cleveland, I need Jaron Jackson Jr. Right? Like, there's just no way he can have it without having that stretch four, or stretch five. But yeah, I, I hear you. I, the thing with this is the Clippers, on the other hand, are starting to pile together wins tonight. They have what I consider to be maybe their best barometer of the season mm, so far the celtics the celtics and fully healthy clippers yeah, yeah. knock on wood because you know yeah. you, you sneeze <laughs> might and, lose luke Kennard yeah, you, <laughs> there you go yeah so we we think they're going to be whole, fully healthy that's yeah. what we've heard going into the game and the celtics they're uh, almost fully healthy too actually exactly mm-hmm. so this is like all right Kawhi leonard in a big game mm-hmm. regular season wise but still it's a big barometer what are these Clippers made of? What do you expect from this game tonight? Oh, I love when NBA players say, like, it's just an NBA regular season game. It's like, I don't think they actually think that that's the case because this is actually, like you said, it's a great barometer. These are going to be rotations that Ty Lue has to iron out, and this is a great experiment for him to see what I, like which rotation will work against an elite caliber team. Not just an elite caliber team, but a team that's going to potentially get their best defender back because Time Lord's starting to come back, Robert Williams. So, I don't know. I, I think Kawhi... Kawhi's been playing great. I, I I've been watching him throughout the month. He's been he's been looking like the old Kawhi, which is very scary for the rest of the league because if you know, old Kawhi is a top five player. If he outplays Jason Tatum tonight, there's going to be some <laughs> serious NBA discussions to be yeah. had because Jason Tatum is playing at that upper echelon level, and I completely agree with you, Tim. Kawhi has looked like Kawhi yeah. tonight against those two wings of the Celtics. Mm-hmm. That is the barometer. It's, it's a marquee matchup. Jalen Brown versus Paul George. Kawhi versus Tatum. When we get to the playoffs, the Clippers, right now, they're currently seated at fourth. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is that third guy for them? To be the guy? I don't think or is even, it just a rotation? They, yeah, exactly. Do even, I don't even know that they need a third guy. I know that's always been the thing. That's like, oh, where do the Clippers go to offense after the fact? The injuries have been a blessing and, and a curse at the same time because it's developed so many of their tertiary options that anybody can step up. But the thing is, like, consistently, that third option has stepped up, at least this season. And I feel like uh, at any time, that could be the second or first option. Now, I'm going to throw you a trivia question here. Do you know what the Clippers' record is with and without Luke Kennard? Do you think they're... <laughs> okay, that was... Let, let me put it this way. They've yeah. played 12 games without Luke Kennard. What do you think their record is in those 12 games? Well, most of those games, they had Kawhi, so they're probably actually pretty good. 
five and seven That's without terrible. Luke okay. Kennard. Okay. With Luke Kennard, they've played 23 games, or maybe 24 now. This was a, yeah. taken a few days ago. What, what do you think their record is? Uh, 24? 24 games, yes. Uh, I don't know, 11. Wait, sorry, 23 games. Probably 11, 11 wins? Uh, 15 and 8. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I'm not saying Luke Kennard is the saving grace of the Clippers, but there's something to be said about the fact that Okay, when you have Luke Kennard on the floor, you know what his role is. You know yeah. what his job is on the team. And I think for guys like Nick Batum, Terrence Mann, Robert Covington, having those reps healthy where they can identify, all right, this is your job on this team, and we want you to focus on this. Mm -hmm. This is your job. I think that's going to be huge for them. And I don't think it's, you know, with that, without... Um, considering where they're at in the standings right now, why can't they move up to maybe the first seed in the West? I just want Luke to shoot more. That's about it. I mean, I know he's an automatic three, but like make him shoot more. That's I, about it. I like that. Well, that's all that we have for this segment. Coming back from the break, we're going to talk more NBA. Tim, anything you want to touch on? We'll keep talking about these rotations, I think. I like that. I like that. All right. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Again, I am joined today by Tim Lee. We were touching on the Clippers versus the Celtics before the break. I cannot wait for that game tonight. It's a great barometer for the Clippers and honestly for the Boston Celtics, although they've had a lot more barometers this season than the Clippers have had. But I, I can't wait for this game, Tim. We're discussing off air the Clippers rotations that we want to see and what things we want to expect from tonight's game. What are some things that you're looking forward to from the Clippers standpoint? I know we've been clamoring for more Terrence Mann minutes, and I think that we will see a lot of it today. I mean, we're not today. I mean, like obviously, like against the Celtics. I feel like in the future, these rotations that we want to see might actually come into fruition. Obviously, hopefully, we're like health permitted, right? So, Mook is great. I, I think Arjax's off ball is like the absolute finality of what this team wants to look for because I think the two ball handlers should be Paul George. And Kawhi Leonard, as weird as it sounds, right? But they're so capable of being those like ball handling wings that I'm not really that unconfident of their ability to do so. So any rotation 
I think they are even better without them on the court. They've had rotations and, and units without both of them on the court, and they've been fine. So I think that this team, regardless of who they put out there, they always need a shooter. So they need a guy like uh, Luke Kennard has to be in the first unit or second unit. But in the, in the second or third unit, who's the shooter? Like, who do you think is a great shooter for the second or third unit? If we're not including Luke Kennard? If we're not including Luke, yeah, exactly. Ooh, I mean... I, I tr- these are all guys that I trust if they're open, mm-hmm. but not in like the sense of they are a shooter. Yeah. I trust Nick Batum if he's open. I trust Robert Covington. I trust Norman Powell. Semi, if if Rudy Gobert's on the court, I trust Terrence Mann. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, they don't have a another a, knockdown another shooter. knockdown shooter. But I I don't know if it's I I don't want to say it's not necessary because that's the name of the game now, but. At the same time, if you have a bunch of guys that can consistently be, you know, average to slightly above average, I think that they can get the job done as long as they can defend, especially defending the premier premier wings of the league. And tonight they're facing two of them. And I want to see what Kawhi and Paul George do defensively and how Zubats is in, in a help role and protecting the rim, because this is the test. Everybody's been seeing what the Celtics have done all season. And they know that, you know, the reputation of the claw and PG defensively. So that's what I'm looking forward to tonight. Because if this team is going to make noise in the playoffs, they're not going to be a high-powered fly-up-and-down offense, in my opinion. I think they're going to be grind you out, play defense, be smart with the basketball, and then in the half court, you just got two dudes that can just get a bucket at any time. Right. And I think that that's their recipe. So they're tonight, not a, they're not a ball movement team, right? Like the, yeah. this is this has been their formula, and I think they built it accordingly. Yeah. We've seen the combinations of Paul George and Zubac. Their pick and roll very lethal. Terrence Mann isolation. Reggie Jackson with him usually with John Wall. That's a very very good team lineup as well. So I'm going through all the rotations in my head. Kawhi usually plays with Kennard. So he has somebody he can dish out to when he drives. This is a team that's almost like one pass shoot. I've seen a lot of possessions, at least when they're at their peak, where it's like player drives in, there's a cut, there's two ball screens, and then they throw it out there for a dunk or they throw it out there for a three. Like that's a whole team's identity is ISO play, cut, and then dish. It's one pass and then go. Which uh, that kind of identity does scare me just okay. from a basketball like history of basketball standpoint. Yeah. It's not that it can't work. It's that I just I prefer a more free flowing offense that's not so. But if you're going to do that, mm-hmm. you, you can do it as long as you can stop the other team on the other end. And again, like this is the, the night where we find out. Right. We know what Kawhi's done. You mentioned it as a playmaker doing a little bit of everything facilitating. He's shown flashes of that. Um, we, we mentioned it coming off of major injuries with Clay Thompson. And I feel like even with Clay, he's starting to find his defensive footing yet again. And now Kawhi, will he guard Jason Tatum for the full duration of the game? How, how well will he guard Jason Tatum? I don't even know if I want him to guard Tatum. I think, I think, I think just guarding Jalen Brown would be okay. good enough uh, because I don't want him to put too much strain on anything. I, I also don't a part of me is like want to hold on to the illusion that Kawhi is back so I don't want to see him that that reputation potentially shatter because Tatum's playing at an all NBA level like this is a, a, a version that we've never seen before we saw it in glimpses obviously in the finals but this is a Tatum that can get a shot off anybody right yeah so I don't think even if you have the best defender on earth guard him he's gonna put a 30 what, what do you think about that top of the Eastern Conference you got the Celtics in first 
As of yesterday, you have the Brooklyn Nets climbing all the way up to the two seed. Yeah, what a surprise. Milwaukee's half a game behind them in third, and then half a game behind Milwaukee. Cleveland in fourth, mm-hmm. and then rounding out the top six, Philly in five, Miami in six. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that Eastern Conference? I think playoff? we mentioned this a few podcasts before, a few shows before, that the East is very, in my opinion, like very top-heavy. So the two teams that are still the cream of the crop, I think Milwaukee and Boston are still the best. How concerned are you, though, about Chris Middleton? Not that concerned. Okay. I, I feel like even if he comes back at 40%, 50%, that's better. Giannis without Middleton has been proven to be really, really bad. I mean, they've had, like, their their points per 36 is not great. Their possessions per 100. As an average team, they're, they're slightly below the magic. Like, they're, I think they're 26th in pace. So Middleton obviously opens up everything, right? And um, if he comes back at 50%, that's concerning. But I feel like he's going to take as much time as possible. He knows himself. I completely agree with that. It's a good thing that it happened now, not later in exactly. the season, where he can take his and they're still in contention right so yeah the thing that scares me though is the fact that he came back and then all what he had a setback and Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden he's he's missed so much time again there is like a red flag going off in my head with that middleton situation but as you mentioned you have a lot of time now to still take your time and get back when, when needed and the bucks i mean they're going to finish looking at the standings they're five five games ahead four and a half ahead of the six seed so you can relax and finish in the top five, and that's another team. I don't think they care if they're home or road in round really one. Don't. As long as Giannis is walking in your building, my goodness, that is the scariest. I think that's the scariest thing in the I NBA. I mean, he just put up 40 points yeah. like, at ease, like almost a 40-20 triple-double again, just like we just saw from Luka. And he did it in single, like without an overtime period. So it feels like he's not going to be he's going to be a problem no matter what every team has to figure out how to defend him and they can't do it on the first look they got to do it on the second look if drew comes back that's another problem we got to deal with like drew is so hard to deal with and he's one of the best wing defenders in the nba i'm glad he's getting his recognition for almost like 8 years i've been saying that drew holiday is the best point guard defender like best guard defender in the nba and he finally got like his when they won the finals right when they won the championship people were like oh wow drew's a really good defender it's like yeah, because he's, like, bigger than most guards. He can bully them. And they're going to be fine mostly because this Brooke Lopez resurgence has continued. He's healthy, finally. He wasn't healthy guy. last year. Yeah. I know. He wasn't healthy last year, but he's he's finally healthy this year. And um, he's doing so much more than I thought he was able to do at, like, 34. It really is a treasure to see what he's kind of rebranded himself into with yeah. three-point shooting, Splash Mountain, and then protecting the basket. Okay, those two... Cream of the crop in the East. Who is your Still, third best team? You mentioned it. I think Brooklyn is the... Okay. It's so hard because like KD is playing at, at a number one player level. And when he does that, there's no one on earth that can guard him, right? Uh, unless they're like Lugans Dort. I think he's the, <laughs> I think Dortcher Chamber is, is a real thing. So like that's the only player that could potentially stop him. But they're playing consistent ball. What they're doing is like sustainable. That's the scary part about it, right? Because all of the... All of, Kyrie Irving isn't even the biggest factor of their success. Their success is legitimately through defense. Yeah. Help defense. And this Nicholas Claxton thing, that's legitimate. Yeah, I completely agree. He's actually expanded his offensive bag where he's finishing a lot. There was a play um, in the game the other night when he finished with his right hand and he held his right hand right. up in the air to his teammates saying, 
look what I found. I, I, I have this now. And then the other thing that I, I noticed, you mentioned their defense, was there was a hot mic moment when Royce O'Neal got beat for either a backdoor yeah, KD or... KD yelled at him. KD yelled at him. Okay, so I yeah, I, I thought I was going crazy there. I was so like, don't reach in, don't reach don't, in. Yeah, that, there you go. You remember mm-hmm. it. So those moments like that when you have everybody locked in on that end and yeah. then your star players are leading by example and holding everybody else accountable it's a recipe for a very scary team yeah but what about Tyrese Maxey not coming back what about the Sixers and I'm I, by the way I I think I agree with uh, I don't know if I agree because if the Sixers met the Nets right yeah Joel Embiid I don't know how the Nets they don't stop him. Yeah, right. they don't stop him. Yeah, they don't stop him. What, but what team can stop Joel Embiid? That's a great question. Right? <laughs> and Maxie's coming back uh, tomorrow, I believe. Yeah. So that's the, the question among Sixer fans right now is, does Tyrese Maxie start, or do they now keep what you know was, I guess, semi-working now that they've lost to the <laughs> Wizards recently? But the Anthony Melton's done a great job in his place. Mm-hmm. And the question is, now, what is your starting five? It's, it's going to be Maxi. It's going to be Maxi. They know Maxi is their bread and butter. They know that they somehow, maybe by fluke or by crook, they, they have found a star. Like, Maxi last year was the de facto starting point guard before they got James Harden. And when he got to move to the two, his efficiency levels rose, like, insanely, right? Because he became this guy who nobody, nobody had to guard because they had to guard... James Harden, and then they had to guard Joel Embiid, and you know, as we just mentioned, nobody can really guard Joel Embiid. So Maxi was like almost playing that Joe Harris role that we all envisioned for the Nets, where you have all these guys playing their huge usage roles, and then there's that lone three point shooter who just so happens to be incredible, yeah. shooting open threes. But Maxi has more than just open threes in his bag. We've already seen it. He was a sole facilitator and sole creator when he was the point guard. When he wasn't even supposed to be the starting point guard at 21. Yeah. So this guy is legitimately scary. And there's no way I can. I, there's no way he's not starting. He's just so efficient as a scorer. We have to give also your team some love because they never <laughs> get the recognition they deserve. I want, them, I want them to not get recognition. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you know what the Vegas over-under was before the season? For the Pacers? Was it? I don't know. It might have been like 33, 34. Okay, so... Let's let's go with that because that sounds right to me. Thirty three, thirty four. They're eighteen and seventeen. They're above five hundred. Mm-hmm. What's this season been like, and what do you want to see the rest of the way for the Indiana Pacers? I mean, their record indicates how their season is going. Right, it's a roller coaster. They win a big game, like they beat the Celtics, and they lose, and then they go to Golden State and they beat the heck out of Golden State, and it looked like it was so easy for them, and then they lose to like an absolute bottom dumpster team. So. I don't know. This is a team that I genuinely wanted to be in the lottery, but at this point, they're they're reaching that win threshold to be in the lottery, which is about twenty one to twenty two. They're really on the cusp, and there's no way they will have to have they have they don't have first they don't have the tools to tank. The, the team's too talented, right? And the owner's eighty eight. There's no way he wants that team to tank. You know how much time he has left on earth. So it's just hard for him. You know, it's hard for the Pacers to tank because the Halliburton's playing at an all elite level. I feel like there's only like a hand of guards if even a handful of guards that are better than him we've heard the lakers perspective to the buddy healed miles turner rules. Yeah. what is the pacers perspective what do you think about i think turner's played himself out of contention for being traded he's, 20, he's only like 26 so there's no so reason to sign him yeah i don't think they, he doesn't fit the the timeline because it's not like he's old and he and he provides not just uh an other like he, he provides something that most players can't do we can only legitimately list three players that do the same role that Miles Turner does, which is stretch the court 
and play elite interior defense, right? We already mentioned Brooke Lopez, and we mentioned the first name in Jaron Jackson Jr. Those are legitimately the only two people that I can think of that can do what Miles Turner does. And his heir apparent, Isaiah Jackson, does almost the same thing, except he's a great cutter. He just doesn't have that much time to play because why would they play him right now because Miles Turner playing at like an elite level. So maybe Heald? Heald's the only person that I can think of that the team wants to trade because they have a weird clog, and they probably want to use Benny Matherin eventually in the starting unit, which they've already showcased, and he doesn't really do that well, but he hasn't had any opportunities to do so. So they're in a weird spot. I don't. I, I ultimately think they're a play-in team, and I don't know how I feel about that as a fan. Did you see Zion last night? Oh, yeah, 43, I think. Yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that because the top of the Western Conference, I mean, it is neck and neck. It's stacked. Pelicans and Nuggets now tied at first. Yeah. Grizzlies in third, a game and a half back. Did you see Dylan Brooks's quote? Uh, no. There was, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it was basically like, uh, is there some friction now in Memphis amongst themselves? Like, Basically saying that they're not holding each other accountable or something to that effect. I think those are good, good, good comments for a team that's young, right? Because they want, even though it's in the national media, you shouldn't want to like report that stuff out to like press. But this is a team that legitimately they need that fire like lit under them to be really good. It's the f- maybe the first time that I can think of where the the narrative on the Grizzlies is starting to turn. People are saying, "Oh, I actually kind of." enjoy this team they talk too much they're too cocky they're this and they're that and that's when you find out what the locker room is really made of because it's easy to be kumbaya high-fiving each other when everything is working working but now that it's not and you have to gut check and they just got blown out by phoenix the other night without devin booker they've lost three straight since they've uh had a john moran comment so this is the team to watch right now yeah, in the west yeah, yeah. and then you got the clippers the suns in fifth the kings and the mavericks are tied for six mm-hmm what are your what are your thoughts on the West? The Western Conference is completely wide open. I know we I know it's been mentioned a lot. You or Brandon has talked about it, like how standings almost at this point don't matter because we're looking at the rosters for the quality and the potential for playoff uh, longevity, right? So even the teams you mentioned in, in in the bottom half of the of the of the standings are really really scary to look for too. Kings difficult i think they have a sustainable formula sabonis is playing at an absolute destruction all world level which i think he still can continue to do fox dropped off a little bit but they have a lot of pieces that can do really well that offensive efficiency was not fluky like it wasn't done through like incredible shooting that was not sustainable is real fox is real malik monk is real i mean these are real good players i agree the team that is not getting talked about right now, and they shouldn't be. They're actually only getting talked about negatively. Yeah, okay. I'm not ready to completely count out Minnesota. Oh, okay. And I thought I you were going to say Golden State first. Golden State, you, oh, been, that's my team to win it in the West right that's now. Insane. Still, Minnesota, though, they lost by one against a really solid Pelicans team yesterday in, you know, tough fashion when Zion went nuts at the end. And then before that, they had a three-point loss in Miami. They lost to Boston, played them pretty competitively. They lost to Dallas. They're on a four-game losing streak. But the reason why I bring them up, Anthony Edwards is is taking a next step. He really is. And then you have D'Angelo Russell in a contract here. He's been playing better. He's been playing a lot better. Yeah. And then now McDaniels is starting to discover himself. If they can get some semblance of something amongst Gobert and see, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there because I feel like Minnesota's in a really scary spot because they're in a position where they're they're benching Gobert more. 
because Nas Reed fits the formula better. Yeah. And like, if you're having those internal discussions with your guy who's worth two hundred million dollars, that's never a good thing. That well, that's happens. yeah, that trade is going to go down as one, it's of, one of the worst. worst. But in terms of oh god, if we didn't trade for Westbrook, oh god, if we didn't trade for Gobert, the other stuff, I'm like, oh, it's actually like Edwards. Look at Edwards. No, Look yeah, at- you're you're absolutely right that McDaniel's took a step forward. I think McDaniel's is the big shining piece. He's been incredible. Man, having Nas Reed look better than Gobert is really not a good look for the team. Not ideal. <laughs> not ideal for the short term. And like that's what they need for like positive morale. This team needs as much positivity as possible. And you mentioned it. Ant-Man absolutely looks great nowadays. The only difference is that I want him to play a little bit more facilitator. We've seen it from other wings that have made that step forward, right? Jason Tatum, like we mentioned, or Kawhi Leonard. That's the step he needs to make. He's already stealing every ball imaginable in every game that he's played, but his next step that we have to envision is that same facilitator role that we need to see. Did you see the dunk that he had at the end of the game last night? It was, so Zion gets a steal. It's a tie game with Mm -hmm. 45 seconds to go. Zion gets a steal, throws down a dunk, Pelicans up by two. Timberwolves, I believe, take a timeout. Out of the timeout, Edwards decides, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to run straight down the middle, down the lane, and I'm going to dunk. And I don't care if if the whole Pelicans team is going to be in my way. He made up his mind that he was going to dunk it. And the force that he drove down the lane with and dunked with, encouraging for you i was like wow that was something and he's he's really good obviously most people pinned him for this is uh, this is the explosion year he hasn't had it yet he had like incremental improvements right but we haven't had that aha moment like we've seen with like zion i i feel like i i'll I'll eat some crow here i've been like the number one pelicans like what what, what, like lukewarm fan i guess i mean you could sell me on pelicans however you want I've been a little bit lukewarm on them, but I, I feel like they might be a little bit more legitimate than I think. That guy Zion is. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you have you had him posted that he's he's an MVP candidate. Yeah, I mean he he needs to make up the games played because he's missed some time. But I mean if they're if they're in the top even two in the West yeah. and he's playing like he is consistently in night in and night out. And by the way, is he now has he taken the mantle of the most fun player to watch in the league? Over Jaw? I know that's subjective. You you could go a lot of there's a lot of fun players. Never. Never over Jaw, never over, over Jokic. Never about, over Jokic or Jaw. What about Steph? Steph is not f- more fun to watch than Jokic. I think Jokic is a, an absolute blessing. We're in a, we're in a period where like we have the greatest passer of all time and he's a big man. So yeah, I impossible. Mean, that might be an unpopular opinion amongst fans, but I completely agree with you because mm-hmm. Jokic is a true unicorn Um, that's all the time we have for today thank you as always for listening and for joining us until next time tim lee we are out of here this is the arash markazi show on the mightier 1090 espn radio Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.